I wonder if you have used any if-then statements lately, maybe at home, maybe at work. If you are a young family in that sort of world, you might have said something last night that said something like, if you finish your vegetables, then you can have a cookie. Or if you finish your chores, then we will uh, play a game and have some fun as a family. Maybe if you're in school these days, you're in elementary school, high school, university, you might have heard an if-then statement that kind of went like, if you hand in your work on time, you will then you will not receive late marks. And uh, if you're at work these days, perhaps your if-then statement that you have heard or maybe you've given if you're a boss or a manager, if you meet this deadline, then you get to keep your job. Um, I want you to think for a minute if you've said any if-then statements. Maybe turn to uh, somebody who's uh, in your living room or kitchen watching this morning with you. Or if you're by yourself today, uh, you could type in the comments an if-then statement that maybe you've said. Um, or maybe you've uh, heard from someone else. Go ahead and think about that for a minute and talk with your family and friends. Well, we have just uh, begun a book study, the book of Philippians, and our series is called Locked Down But Looking Up. This is one of Paul's uh, letters that he wrote while he was in prison. And Pastor Pat began last week uh, introducing us uh, to the book of Philippians, the theme of joy and advancing the gospel. And today we're going to look at chapter 2. Uh, I think that chapter 2 is maybe the most famous if you have been part of the church for many years. I'm sure that chapter 2 will be familiar to you in some way. And, uh, and actually, we were only looking at the first few verses. Uh, chapter 2 is packed with amazing, amazing teaching. I encourage you to read the whole chapter this week um, and uh, dive into uh, more than what I can uh, share with you this morning. Well, I want to start by reading uh, the first 11 verses of chapter 2. And uh, the screen will uh, show the passage, but if you want to look it up too, I would encourage you to do that. It's about halfway through, uh, Philippians is about halfway through the New Testament. All right, starting at verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at every name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Christ Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 
I want to spend uh, the most of our time today in the first five verses up in the if-then statements. Now, I admit that there is certain trouble with if-then statements, and perhaps you have already experienced that um, as a parent or as someone who is trying to motivate somebody else. If the person you're talking to, for example, doesn't care about the then, whether a negative consequence or a positive, then it may not be able to motivate them. For example, if you said something like, if you clean up the mess in your room, then you can have your chocolate. Now, if your uh, child hates chocolate, and I actually know there are a few of our youth who do not like chocolate, I can't even imagine it, (laughs) but then you might not care to clean up your room because the then statement isn't motivating to you. Perhaps if you're at work and a boss says to you, if you don't complete this project on time and in budget, then your job is on the line. The result of that then statement is pretty serious and that may be motivating or that may uh, push you back. Well, Paul begins chapter two with uh, four if statements. He's asking the Philippians to consider and what really is a set of rhetorical questions um, as followers of Jesus. Paul is talking to the congregation about how they're getting along and how they are treating each other. So we're going to look at these four statements. And in fact, I'm going to change them uh, into questions um, instead of if statements, if questions to sort of help um, you maybe understand them better or see them in a fresh way. And I've used a variety of um, versions of the Bible uh, to find these questions. So the first one is, if, if you have had any encouragement from being united with Christ, maybe it's easier to understand by saying, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Or have you gotten anything out of your relationship with following Jesus? If any comfort from his love, have you ever been comforted by Jesus' love? Has God ever comforted you? Do you see why these are rhetorical questions? The answer should be obvious. Paul is saying the answer should be obvious. If any common sharing in the Spirit, does being in community with the Holy Spirit mean anything for your life? Does being connected to the Holy Spirit's voice and prompting change who you are? And the final if uh, question statement is if any tenderness and compassion. Are you, are you tenderhearted and compassionate because of the affection and mercy that God has shared with you? These are intended to be rhetorical questions to followers of Jesus who would already know that, yes, of course, these statements about God are true statements. So after these four if statements, Paul makes a very bold then the Enduring Word Commentary says it this way, and I like, how they, um, I like how they round this section out. This introduces the basis for Paul's exhortation, and exhortation is just a, like a strong encouragement, towards unity, humility, and love among the believers. The idea is that if the Philippian Christians have received all of these things mentioned from God, then they have a responsibility to do what Paul is about to describe. Paul says this, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourselves, 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And Paul is strongly encouraging the church at Philippi to see all the things that God is doing for them and then to also fulfill his joy, Paul's joy, to make him happy by acting in the following ways. It's an interesting personal request. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever requested someone's behavior to change. I assume if you are a parent, um, at one point or another, you would have experienced the notion of asking for a personal favor. Like, can you just get along while we're visiting with grandma? You know, like as this, this is per- for your grandmother's sake. <laughs> can you just... Uh, get along. Maybe you have made that kind of request. I want to put up the New Living Translations phraseology of this section of verses from 2 to 5. Paul is saying, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. The church of Philippi was full of diversity. People from different ethnic and cultural backgrounds, people from different social classes, which would have really been separated culturally. Very naturally, people would have looked around, saw people, found people that looked like them, and and sort of segregated to their own groups. The church was struggling with internal attitudes that was destroying their unity. The I'm better than you, or look at us versus them attitudes, were alive and well in the church of Philippi. And Paul wants to correct that. It's so important that he is doing this from prison. He's not waiting until he visits with them again. He's doing it right away. And Paul is saying to the Philippian church and to us, no matter your background, where you've come from, who your parents were or weren't, no matter if you're rich or poor, no matter your place in society, no matter if we have anything really in common, no matter if the whole world around us separates from one another, We are all equal in the body of Christ, and we need to treat each other with love and humility. And people should look through the doors of the church in Philippi and see people interacting from different cultures, different backgrounds, different classes. They should see everyone being treated equally. And I cannot think of a more relevant message for our church today. The church in North America across the world, but also here in Wainfleet. There should be no differentiation between people who are Christ followers, no matter race, culture, economic standing, gender, education, age, whether a person is just starting a relationship with Jesus or someone who has been following Jesus for a lifetime. We are all equal in the body of Christ. And those around us, our community, should be able to look into our doors to see and hear and notice the difference in how we treat one another because of who Jesus is, because of all of those if 
statements. How can we do this? <laughs> Paul calls on the church to be unified or like-minded, verse 2 says. Having the same love, a love focused on Jesus. Being one in spirit and of one mind means the unity of spirit between fellow believers in Jesus. The church needed to be single-minded in their efforts to spread the message of Jesus, like Pastor Pat was talking about last week. And then Paul says the hardest part, in my opinion, how can a diverse church in Philippi be unified? How can we? Verse 3 is the key. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others better than yourselves, <clears throat> not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In our relationships with one another, we need to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul is saying to the Philippians, the only way to be truly unified as a church Selfish motives must be replaced with other-focused thoughts. They needed to prioritize other people's needs before their own. And they needed to humble themselves and have the same mindset as Jesus. Now you might be saying, I'm glad that message was for the church in Philippi, because that's really hard. But this is also the message to our church. You might be hearing the words of Pastor Trevor from a few weeks back when he was talking about us trying to love like Jesus does. Trevor repeated this phrase and it came to me as I was preparing. I would if I could, but I can't. <laughs> it's too hard. Was it possible for the Philippian church to live up to this kind of standard? Is it possible for us today can we have the same mindset as Jesus? Can we value other people above ourselves? Is it possible to wipe away selfish ambition and vanity from our lives, from our minds, from our hearts? Paul is calling for a very deep and honest self-evaluation of each person at the Church of Philippi, just like he is asking of us today. This message was for the people inside the church. Do we look at each other with humility and with the mindset of Christ Jesus? How can we advance the gospel outside of the walls of the church when inside we are not unified? This was so important to Paul, and this message is so relevant for us today. Well, what does humility in the church look like as Paul presented it and then for us today? Humility looks like three things. Checking your motives checking your priorities, and checking your mindset. First, we need to check our motives. What's at the heart of our motivation to act the way we do, to speak the way we do, to treat people the way we do? Everything we do should be motivated by God's glory, not our own. As if we alone, without the guidance of the Holy Spirit or the strength of Jesus, could actually accomplish it by ourselves. Is our motive, what will people think of me? Humility looks like laying down what other people think of us. Is our motive to prove to someone we can do it better or prove them wrong? Humility lays down our need to outdo somebody, to one-up them. 
Is our motive to stick it to somebody who's hurt us in the past? Humility lays down our unforgiveness and our deep grudges. Humility extends forgiveness. I am not suggesting that these are remotely easy steps, but they're so important. Next, Paul says we need to check our priorities. Whose needs and desires need to be considered first over our own? As we consider diversity, who needs to be prioritized will change in different situations. What would it look like if we ask other people what they think before we tell everyone what we think or want? Is our priority me first, what I want, what my family wants, what my family needs, what I prefer, what would make me the most comfortable? Or is our priority to make sure your needs are being met? What do you need? What does your family need or want? What are your preferences? What would make you feel comfortable? Humility asks that second group of questions, thinking of others first before ourselves. Finally, Paul challenges both the church in Philippi and us to check our mindset against Jesus' mindset. Verse 5 specifically says that in our relationship, we, each other, we need to have the same mindset of Jesus or thinking the same way that Jesus does. The Message Bible says it this way, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of what his status was. Jesus set aside his advantage, his privilege, and took on the status of a servant. Humility sets aside what we see as our advantage and know it could be our advantage, our privileges to take the status of someone else. I'm going to give you an example that very well is a negative one, and I hope that I don't use this, but it's possible that my motives at times have not been pure. If I want others to see my way or my position in a staff meeting, I could leverage my years of experience being on staff as if that would be the only thing that matters, my 20 years over year five. I've been here longer, I know better, I don't need to listen to you. Humility sets aside my years of being in the club, sets aside my title or position. Humility sets aside my family name, my tax bracket, my list of accomplishments, the letters behind my name, and takes on someone else's status, someone who is diverse, different than me, so that others will see Jesus in us. Paul sets out a very difficult then statement, challenging us with unity and humility. It calls us to check our motives, to check our priorities, and to check our mindset. This is only possible with Jesus. We cannot possibly do this without him. Our humanity is too flawed. We are too prone to selfishness, and sin. But with Jesus ruling in our hearts and in our minds, we can be unified within the walls of the church, just like the church of Philippi was being called to. 
With unity and humility, right thinking in our minds, we can be part of a God-produced action. We could be a beacon of light guiding our community towards Jesus, advancing the gospel until every home is led by Jesus, just like the mission of the Philippian church. Paul is in prison when he's writing this message, and he is not writing a light, easy letter to the church of Philippi. He's straight, he's to the point, and he's not holding back. He wants the church to thrive, to show in their community who Jesus is and what he's like. He wants the church to be looking up to Jesus. And this is our challenge here today in Waynefleet in North America. The challenge isn't just for us when we're in the building together, but for each day, our interactions with one another through our words, whether on social media or face-to-face. The challenge is to be part of God's design to show the world who does not know him yet who he is. I think this is a blessing and a challenge to be part of God's design. Let's close in prayer. God, as a church, we want to be a beautiful expression of who you are to those around us. Whether it's people inside our home or inside our workplace, in our neighborhood. And we confess that we often have an every person for themselves attitude. And that does not glorify you or honor you in any way. Please forgive us when we act opposite to your call and your design for us as a church, which is to show unity and humility. Help us, Lord, to honestly and earnestly check our motives and our priorities, our mindsets, both individually in our own hearts and minds and corporately as a whole. Help us to see our faults and our weaknesses and help us to both acknowledge them and address them with your guidance. Help us to be more like you so that others will see you in us. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.